This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. So Molly, um, wouldn't you say that in comparison to our mother's generation, the relationship arc, if you will, from meeting someone mm-hmm. to marriage or long-term commitment, etc., yes. mm-hmm. has changed? Probably, yes. There's an extra step in there because it used to be that, you know, there was a period of, you know, you'd meet and then you would court. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be the engagement and the, and a, and a wedding, probably. Um, but for us, there's an extra step in there. There's the meet, the okay. dating, and then the cohabitation. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Famed on sitcoms and movies. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of try it out before, before you buy it. It's, you know? it's often referred to as the next step, you know? Yeah. I'm ready to take the next step. Let's take the next step. Let's move this relationship forward. So you move in together and then maybe you get engaged. Maybe you don't. Maybe you break up, whatever. But at least you didn't get married, you know? Yeah, I think that, you know, our generation might have had sort of that first uh, set of parents that got divorced. We were, you know, people around our age saw their parents get divorced. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make that mistake. Yeah. So I'm going to try it before I buy it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in olden days... The the famous expression, I didn't really want to say it because I don't like this expression. Go for it, Molly. Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Oh, Molly, I thought you were going to say living in sin. That's my personal favorite. Well, that's another one. You know, ladies who did that were either very sinful. Sinful. As society, I'm not talking about my view of them. We're society's view sin, of them. Molly. <laughs> um, so they were sinful or just foolish because they were giving away all the free milk. Yes. Um, whereas now. Lose, lose. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, we think we're being a little bit wiser by preventing that trauma of divorce by, you know, not making things legal. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not in the minority if you do uh, cohabitate before you are married, because according to a very new study from the Journal of Family Psychology, upwards of 70 percent of U.S. couples these days are living together before marrying. And if you want to compare that to how it used to be, only half a million couples did that in 1960. Ooh. We're up to the millions now. Yeah. So it's very common. So the question is, you know, is that is that really a good idea? Yeah. Have we made any progress by deciding to do this step before the big marriage? Right. Step? Are we preventing divorce down the road by kind of figuring out whether or not we really like living with this guy or girl before we make the final commitment? Um, and bad news, guys, according to that same study in the Journal of Family Psychology... It's uh, not the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
still going to be sad down the line. Yeah, what these researchers are saying that is that they think they don't think that the actual act of living together, you know, the testing out that free milk or whatever you're talking about, Molly. They don't think that they don't think that that's a bad idea. They just think that living together could be pushing people to marrying for the wrong reasons. Right, which me- which makes them more likely to get divorced down the road. Yeah. So let's talk about why people might live together and how this may or may not be a good idea. So in a study published in the February issue of the journal Family Issues, more than 60% of participants ranked spending more time together as the number one reason for moving in together. Yeah, makes sense. Fair enough. Uh, followed by nearly 19% who put it as, you know, financial reasons. It makes more sense to just have one rent, yeah. split these costs, we're together all the time anyway. Uh, but then 14% ranked, I want to test our relationship before marriage as the most prominent reason for why they moved in together. Going for the old test drive. Test drive. Now, these people are probably most at risk for the later unhappiness. Yeah, the people who are listing the testing as their primary motive for moving in together were the ones who scored higher on measures of negative communication, such as my partner criticizes or belittles my opinions, feelings, or desires. And they also had lower confidence in the quality and stability of their relationships. And it might be because going into that, they weren't really sure, you know, whether this was someone they wanted to be together with for the long run. So they're moving in together. So maybe to begin with, the relationship wasn't on the firmest ground. Right. And if you do have sort of this, you know, I can get out of it later mindset, then once things start to go a little bit bad, you might not put the effort into it that a couple who is on a little bit firmer ground might. Yeah. And following up on the heels of that study that we were just talking about, the CDC in 2002 came up with similar statistics that said, for instance, that uh, the probability of a first marriage ending in separation or divorce within five years is 20 percent compared with a 49% probability of a premarital cohabitation breaking up within that same period. So like you said, Molly, there's uh, not as high of a risk involved with living together before you're married, so there's probably a greater chance of someone, you know, couples breaking up. So those are kind of scary statistics. I mean, you know, you think you're doing a good thing, but I do want to say that the research that got us talking about this today uh, was published in July 2009, and I kind of find it a little dicey. Like, I just don't know yet if we have the right numbers on this subject, just because it's such a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It seems like a hard, hard topic to really study accurately. Yeah, I will say if you Google living together before marriage, all you get are a lot of religious sites, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother factor about what role religion plays into it. We can get into that later. Yeah. But the study that got us interested was conducted at the University of Denver. It's the one that Kristen's been citing from the Journal of Family Psychology. Um, and... Basically, this researcher called up a thousand married men and women between the ages of 18 and 34 who've been married for 10 years or less. So fairly newlyweds, I guess. And they asked a lot of questions about how satisfied they are with the relationship, how dedicated they were, and what they thought of in terms of their communication patterns, their sex lives, etc. And then to measure the potential of a couple who might get divorced, they were asked, have you or your spouse ever seriously suggested the idea of divorce? That was sort of the first red flag for me, Kristen, because I don't know if, if someone called me up and asked me if I'd ever seriously suggested the idea of divorce, if mm. I would answer that completely, honestly. Yeah, it's you a know? fairly fairly direct question. And you might have some people going, pointing back to those religious views that you just mentioned. You might have some people who would never, might not be happy in their marriage, but their divorce is never going to be an option right. for them. Right. But I do kind of agree with the trends that, um, that the research yielded, that if you live together before you get married when you already have the ring on your finger or you've already made a very serious commitment, 
then you do have greater success than the than the tribe before you buy people. Yeah, according to this research, um, only about 16% of the, the people who live together after getting engaged expressed um, signs of marital marital discord. Mm-hmm. Which seemed to hint, like you said, that that uh, that if you are already committed to getting married in the future and then you move in together, it's not as uh, predictive of disaster in the future. Yeah, if you're just moving together to kind of see how the other person lives and then all of a sudden you guys have a dog and a mortgage together, then that's sort of what we're talking about. People who just kind of slide into marriage for possibly the wrong reasons. Yeah, it seems like a, the practical idea. And um, there, there's actually an entire project at um, Rutgers University that's been studying the dynamics all, all different from all different angles um, of marriage and they looked at this idea of premarital cohabitation to see whether or not it it is a predictor of long-term uh, marriage success and and they say no they think that before um, you live together you need to consider whether or not you're going to get married in the future, um, trying to limit the amount of time you live together before you end up getting married, and definitely not living together if children are involved. Right. And and it doesn't even matter if your child with the person that you're going to move in with, they're saying that um, three-fourths of the children born and born to cohabitating parents will see their parents split up. Whereas, I mean, you might say that children of married parents have the same odds. It's actually closer to one third, according to the National Marriage Project. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the reasons why uh, this team at Rutgers is really looking at this issue is because um, it's this idea of living together before marriage is really becoming almost as institutionalized as marriage itself. For instance, it cites a recent representative national survey that found that nearly 66% of high school senior boys and 61% of the girls indicated that they either agreed or mostly agreed with a statement, it's usually a good idea for a couple to live together before getting married in order to find out whether they really get along. And I also think that, you know, for people of that age, they may not even want to get married. And so then you've got the question, if I'm just living together, not necessarily living together before marriage, is that going to be better? Is it just a whole nother alternative lifestyle for people? And right now, you know, it's a fairly new phenomenon. We might not have the best data on it, but the National Marriage Project is saying just if you're living together as a complete alternative to marriage, that those couples purport, report lower levels of happiness, lower levels of sexual satisfaction, and uh, poorer relationships with their parents, obviously, because their parents probably frown on the living in sin. Yeah. And on the pro-marriage side of things, they say that um, there is, you know, the long-term contract that's implied when you when you marry someone that you're going to, you know, have and to hold to death till you part. But one thing about this marriage project, Molly, when I was going through it, it's pretty detailed study, is a lot of the statistics are fairly old. A lot of them are coming from even as far back as the late 80s mm-hmm. and the mid-90s when this so-called phenomenon that we're calling it was not as prevalent. And um, there was a researcher at the Mannheim Research Institute for Economics of Aging who in 2007 went back and kind of re-examined all of this data to find out once again, like whether or not, uh, you know, this idea of living together is um, making you more likely to get divorced in the future. And he says that mm-hmm. going back and looking at the data and updating it for today's couples, that it's that's not the case. Really? Yes. So what does today's couple look like? So let's take the um, women 35 to 44. 
this age group it has the highest like increase in the rate of living together before marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at this age, women are a lot more stable. Um, women are making more money than ever before. And women with more edu- higher education levels are also living together more than ever before. Okay. Okay. So he's saying that because you have this more quote unquote stable population of men and women, who are living together before marriage, um, that is kind of equalizing this whole idea of, you know, the positive correlation between premarital cohabitation and divorce. Gotcha. And according to this researcher, Stefan Reinhold, this is actually happening in Denmark and in Western Europe in particular. And he thinks that these same ripple effects are going to start happening in the U.S. very soon. Gotcha. So that would um, provide a counterpoint to the research we were citing earlier, whereas we mentioned the survey participants were 18 to 34. Yes, because the younger people who are getting married at younger ages um, and from lower income brackets are more likely to get divorced statistically. Plus, no one knows what they're doing in their 20s. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> That's another podcast, Molly. <laughs> um and, and, and he was, he's talking about this idea that, that, that group of more, you know, quote unquote, unstable, mm-hmm. you know, the people in the twenties not knowing what they're doing are, were self-selecting themselves for, for this group of people who are for living together before marriage and kind of skewing the results to make it seem like it's this terrible idea that's going to, to lead to divorce. Hmm. So he's kind of arguing that, um, as it does become more institutionalized, it's going to end up being, you know, a fairly good thing. Sounds good. Yeah. So we have point counterpoint. Point counterpoint. And this is pretty much, you know, as close as we can get to a snapshot in time, just because there are a lot of good studies on it right now. Mm -hmm. And who knows how it'll turn out. Reinhold says good. Other people might say bad. But Molly, we do have some tips for people since 70 percent. Um, at least of couples in the U.S. are now living together before marriage. I mean, we might as well at least prepare people for sure. this. Sure. If we haven't alienated you completely <laughs> yeah, by we now. We haven't terrified you and uh, you're like packing up your bags right now and moving out. Um, we do have some financial tips because I think yes. this is probably the stickiest thing. Yes. Um, you know, you, when you move in with someone, it shouldn't be then that you realize that they're majorly in debt or, you know, they can't make rent. Yeah, things like that. Like, if you're moving together to try out those sort of things, I would say that's probably one of those um, precursors to failure. But again, I don't want to alienate all of you yeah. out there. So these tips come from Aaron Burdick Kiplinger, the five money rules for moving in together. Um, obviously, first one, a very common relationship tip, communicate, talk about money, lay mm-hmm. it all out on the line, how much you make, how much you spend, what Short-term, you got. long-term goals, whether you're a spender, a saver. Yeah, you got to know all of that about the person that um, you're going to move in with. I suggest making it like a quiz or a sort of game. Yeah, and most importantly, how much you can afford to pay for rent, utilities, etc., so that you can, you know, make those decisions. Exactly, and, you know, one example she cites is that, you know, maybe you have a cell phone and your potential roommate slash significant other does a landline. Are you going to pay for that landline? You know, if you're paying... Your boyfriend rent money. Do you have to pay for all the renovations and upkeep? Things like that. You mm-hmm. kind of just have to lay it all on the line. And when you're talking about all this money stuff, it is not the time to uh, go ahead and uh, get a joint credit card or things like that. She really advises keeping your finances separate. But if you are engaged or you're going to get married soon, you might want to open up a joint checking account, but you still want to keep separate accounts in some form or fashion. Right. 
So now for me, Kristen, one of the least romantic things I can think of would be to drop a contract of sorts with someone that you're not even sure you want to marry. You know, this is the whole reason you are living together is to avoid all that paperwork. A pre-prenup? Yeah, but you need a pre-prenup where you put everything in writing, who's going to pay for what, when, etc. I mean, you should do that with any roommate, but don't don't let old boyfriend off the hook just because he's going to be a very special roommate. Or girlfriend. True. Um, and then if you, let's say you move into a place that doesn't have a washer or dryer, it's a big expense. Um, if you have big ticket items that you're going to need to get, you need to keep those purchases separate and keep them documented. So then when it's time and when, if it's time to move out, uh, you'll know that, yes, I actually did buy that washer and dryer and it is coming with me. <laughs> Kristen looked a little too angry when she said that for I my... Used, I um, used my wagging finger. She really did. I wish you guys could have seen that. Um, and last, be smart about your housing. If you're renting, then put both names on the lease. And though it may seem like the best possible market to buy a house together, a little love nest, if you will, I, I would prefer that people not be in that try-before-you-buy stage. You know, it, probably not a good idea to buy a house with a significant other of only three months. Yeah. Despite how much you are committed to this three-month fledgling, fledgling relationship. Yeah, so, you know, stay independent, stay smart, you know, and uh, don't be scared of cohabitating, but don't let it also push you into marriage for the wrong reasons. I think right. that's the takeaway. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the news is grim now, but perhaps we will be the ladies who change it. Stefan Reinhold, you know, there we go. He says, he says, wait for it. Just wait for I it. I wonder if that's an excuse like ladies will start to use before they uh, cohabitate. Oh, Stefan Reinhold says Stephen it'll all work fine out. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like, too, the, the takeaway is the more stable you are, the better position you are in to live with someone. Okay. So there we go. Solved. Solved. Well, Molly, um, this uh, topic actually did come from a listener who emailed us about it. Audrey? Audrey, thank you so much for that idea. And uh, speaking of mail, why don't we do a little bit of listener mail, Molly? Uh, Today, I want to give a shout out to... A mom stuff listener named Marley Jane. She uh, first emailed us to um, send us a little correction about um, a Scott Pilgrim shout out we did. Uh, it was part of someone's reading list a couple weeks ago, and I think we might have mentioned said Scott Pilgrim as a an author. But Scott Pilgrim is actually um, a comic book character. Mm-hmm. It's a whole series. Um, but the reason why we're giving Marley Jane, a shout out is because she sent us a uh, link to her own comics, um, www.scaryghostgirl.com. And uh, I got to say, they're pretty funny, pretty cute. Yeah, I'd like to thank Marley for uh, my not getting any work done the day we got this link. Yeah, she also has she also has a blog with um, some more of her, of her artwork on it, and it's themarleyjane.com, and you should check it out. Uh, my favorite on there is the image of peanut butter and jellyfish sandwich. So you guys, if you want a cute break, go look at that. Check out Scary Ghost Girl. Yeah. Thanks, Marley Jane, for the correction. And if you guys have any questions, comments, or artwork, tasteful artwork people <laughs> that you would like to send our way, please email me and Molly at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And if you want even more Molly and Kristen throughout the week, of course, you can always head over to How To Stuff, which is our blog that's at HowStuffWorks.com. And if you just want more information about marriage and finances and all that good romantic and not romantic stuff, 
Check out some articles at HowStuffWorks.com while you're there. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.